The following message was recorded Wednesday, October 11, 2023. J.M. McCauley shares with us tonight on reaching for the helm of our Lord's garment. And now, here's John Michael. All right, so there's this little bookmark deal. We went through all that. I found it interesting to take a piece of Scripture. Actually, uh, I guess I said I learned a lot about it. No question, these are actual events. These are not stories. I try to never use the word stories. I know, especially when we use the children, we, make, we pound that into the children. These are not Bible stories. These are Bible events. This is history. These things really happened. So it's a powerful event, not a story. It's covered in all three Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and uh, Mark. And I don't have a favorite, but all three have some subtleties that should you review them collectively, uh, you'd get a better sense of what it is that's taking place. Anytime it's in more than one gospel, you can derive info and clues that may be missing in the others, as each author has its own target audience. However, I want to first build a foundation that will be a key to the single word we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the word hem, the hem of his garment. So being a bit of a word nerd, I like to take a word or words and find out when and how they are used in Scripture. And if you don't have or use an interlinear, you should look into that as it will oftentimes provide additional insight as to the meaning as it applies to the context of what it is you're looking at. As we know, context is king, so the more you can derive from a word, verse, the more succinct its meaning. And obviously there are some variants in the translations, and then while seemingly different, they can usually add more succinctly to its meaning. Uh, there is great subtlety in some of these words or phrases, especially when you're crossing over between Hebrew, Greek, and the Septuagint and trying to land it all in English. Some of these languages, especially the English language, isn't nearly as strong or robust as uh, perhaps Hebrew is. Hebrew is, so it's kind of a challenge for the, uh, the men who translated it as well. So I happen to use Blue Letter Bible only because it's free, <laughs> but you can use eSword and Logos. Uh, Logos does have a free version. If you want a top-tier product, I'd say Logos is best, and if you want to know more about it, Pastor Darren is a... Uh, is our Logos guru. Um, I use Blue Letter Bible simply because it's simple and it's free. I took the word hem, and that's the root word of what we're going to share. And there's some interesting info on the periphery that I found very interesting. So I just plug it into the app with a simple word search. It returned nine instances of the word in the New King James. However, one of these is not germane to the word as used in the hem of his garment. Indeed, it has nothing to do with clothing at all. So we're left with eighth. Eight. Uh, the outlier is in Isaiah and has the word hem as part of Rahab hem Shabeth, which is literally translated Rahab sits silent. And this is a reference to a mythical chaos monster symbolizing Egypt. So it has nothing to do with hem of the garment, even though the word hem is in there. So let's look at our first applicable instance. Let's turn to Exodus 28. We're going to be looking at verses 33 and 34 real quick. Contextually, what we're looking at is the establishment of all the particulars in and around the wilderness temple. Some time ago, Pastor David did an exhaustive study on Wednesday nights on all aspects of the temple, its furnishings, its assembly, the disassembly, the routines, the transportation, down to the design and construction of the garments used by the priests. 
So should you ever wish to have an in-depth study like that, you can probably find, I'm sure it's still on the web. It's probably about 50 weeks long though, right? It was a, it was a long study, it was good. So let's look at verses 33 and 34. And upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. So the word hem there is Strong's H7757. So H implies it's Hebrew. The word is shul, like school without the C, S-H-O-O-L, from a root meaning to hang down, a skirt by implication, a bottom edge, actually a hem, as we understand it. So if we look at chapter 39, verses 25 and 26, we'd see the same word, it's implied usage. So those four verses align themselves with what we understand today to be the hem of a garment. It's safe to say the primary usage or definition in Exodus is the actual hem of a garment as we understand. So let's go to our targeted event. Again, not a story, it's actual events. And it's in each of the synoptic gospels. Let's go to Matthew 9, 20. Okay, Matthew 9, 20. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. The word hem there is, uh, in all three verses, actually the same. It's in Strong's Concordance. It's G for Greek, so G2899, uh, G as opposed to the H in the Hebrew. The word hem here translate, translates as crespedon, K-R-A-S-P-E-D-O-N, crespedon. And that's the way it translates in all three Gospels. Um, the definition they give it, the extremity or prominent part of a thing, edge, skirt, the fringe of a garment, a tassel. So there's our tassel. And the researchers provided a note for us. In Hebrew, for the New Testament, it is defined as a little appendage hanging down from the edge of a mantle or a cloak made of twisted wool, a tassel or a tuft. So here we have something a bit different in the hem translation, more succinctly to a tassel or a little appendage as opposed to the actual hem as we understand the hem of a garment. So let's go back to the Old Testament and see if we can validate this in some manner. So let's go to Numbers 15. Verses 37 and, well, we're going to look at 37, 38, 39. 37, and again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your eyes are inclined, and that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy, for I am your God. So here we have our tassel defined in Matthew, 
translating as a fringe appendage or a tassel in our garment as consistent visual reminder to follow the commandments and do them. And the same word translated word as tassel we saw in Matthew 29 is the Greek kraspidon. So if you're still in 38 there, um, there's a reference to a blue thread. We're going to circle back and pick that up later in our study because that is, has some importance as well. So the next step I took was, okay, we've got this word tassel showing up in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So what are we doing? Let's take tassel and throw that into the concordance and see what happens. So the word tassel resolves to Strong's H6734, and I'm going to spell it before I try and say it, T-S-I-Y-T-S-I-Y-T. The pronunciation is so difficult, it's basically to see seats. So the word is like, has a soft T in front of the word C. So seat seat. Teats, so T S E E T S E E with a T H in the end. Teats C with a, a T H at the end. <laughs> I practiced that a hundred times. I still can't do it. <laughs> so teats seat is a Hebrew word that refers to a specially knotted ritual fringe or tassel. These fringes are worn by observant Jews on all four corners of their clothing usually on a talit gadol. A kadit gadol is actually the prayer shawl. Somebody asked me what that was. I forgot my prayer shawl, so I was going to bring that, show you what that was. And a talit katan, which is the everyday undershirt that they wear. So we just read in numbers that wearing the, we read in, yeah, in the tisith, but uh, in, it's commanded to be worn in Deuteronomy. Let's look at a Deuteronomy 22.12. Shall make teats, you shall make tassels, tisith, on the four corners of the clothing which you cover yourself. Every male was required to have this tisith, on his garment on all four corners. And because they were hanging on all four corners of your garment in full view of everyone, including yourself, they would be a constant reminder to walk according to God's laws. So, again, I thought just for the heck of it, I'll throw the word law into the concordance and see what it burns back. And it literally means to walk, the way of the walk. It's amazing what you get if you just start poking around. So following God's law is a daily walk, such as to stay on his path of righteousness. Thankfully, we don't use tassels on our clothes as we're a reminder, however, that we do need to have that constant reminder. Maybe we should wear Bibles around our necks or something instead. So Jews today wear um, clothes, Western clothes, and whether it's Israel or South Florida, where Michelle and I were from, uh, we would see men who wore this tunic, uh, the talit katan, that's their prayer shawl, um, or not, the katan is the undershirt, under their clothes, and they leave the tassels hanging out under their belts. So that would be their, you'd find an observant Jew being that, especially down in North Miami, where there's a, lot, a large Jewish population. And being uh, in town after Shabbat, we would see a number of them with their prayer shawls over their shoulders. They'd be coming out of temple, and they'd be walking to a restaurant or walking to their homes. They didn't drive, so they would be walking. <clears throat> Not germane to the message, but the first time I heard the gospel was in a Jewish kosher pizzeria. Plenty of talits as such in the, the, the evenings, and it was just after Shabbat Friday night. So, and that was my weird wife who shared the gospel with me that night. Again, the Strong's Concordance uh, accessed, ask, accessed via the Bible search application can be very rewarding. 
The seed sheath are made of four corners of thread, each strand consisting of a specific, this has been interesting, each strand consisting of a specific number of twists and knots. The number of twists and knots varies depending on the tradition followed by the wearer. Their knots are tied in a specific order to form a pattern that has religious significance. It's a very specific item that men wore in their clothing, so specific that it aligns with the 613 laws of Moses, of which there are 365 prohibitions, thou shalt not laws, and 248 affirmations, thou shall laws. The knots also corresponds with the ineffable name of God, the name too great to say for them, expressed in as yod heh So we would know that as Yahweh, but yod heh all the Western, uh, at the Western Wall, we saw many of the men with prayer shawls, tallits over their heads. The representation there is to shut out the world and be in the presence of God. Praying under the tallit, or prayer shawl, with its fringe tzitzith, <laughs> is representative of covering yourself with the presence of God. The Greek word for closet, tamion, which means the inner chamber or a secret room. The closeting of oneself and the covering of the tallit, the prayer shawl, was a symbolic separation from the world all around the Jewish man. Now Matthew 6, 6, 6, 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. From biblical times, this custom wearing it over your head and even covering your face was like a prayer closet. And it's plausible, and a few commentaries ascribe to this mindset and practice it in closings as clothing, closeting, I'm sorry. Certainly you can have an actual closet, but completely covering your head and face was seen as the Western Wall, at the Western Wall as well. Was this what Jesus referred to in Matthew 6, 6, when he told us to get into our closet, apart from people around and pray in secret of the Lord? Uh, nothing doctrinal there. Uh, customs along with definitions can evolve. It sounded plausible and enlightening to me. Um, I'll give you a little personal information. I have a prayer closet that I go to when I'm in a place where I obviously don't have a closet as it were, but I simply cover my ears and I hide my face. I can do this at the kitchen table. I can do this at my desk at work. I can do this anywhere I want. But the amazing thing is you sit like this for a minute. You can hear yourself breathe. To me, there's nothing more profound than being that quiet when you can hear the breath that God has given you go in and out of your body. And if you're quiet enough, you can actually hear the blood coursing through your veins. And if you're a little bit nervous or upset about something, I can actually hear my heartbeat. So it's really extraordinary. That is my prayer closet. And obviously, I do have places to go where you can be alone, but sometimes you're in a place where you can't be closeted, as it were, but you can still create one. So I got away from the word hem and tassel, but I wanted to give you some background. Uh, we're going to get a little bit more specific and perhaps challenging on a few ideas. We had about a few events. Um, I've, probably the second most famous one is to uh, that the hem of his garment would be David and Saul. Let's go to 1 Samuel 24. Chasing these words around between Hebrew and Greek, 
and across in the, into the Septuagint were um, a little bit of a challenge. Um, and it's interesting, though, when it all starts to play together, it's just it's, it's extraordinary. I wish I could read one of those other languages and not have to read it in English, you know? And even in English, we have, what, I don't know, 15 and 20 different translations in English. So 1 Samuel 24, 3 and 4, So he came to the sheepfolds by the road, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Apparently Saul had laid down his robe to tend to his business, and David was able to cut it off unobserved. So we've seen them and resolved corner and border, resolved in Strong's H3671 as canap, which can simply apply, um, imply a tassel. So basically, David cut off his tassel. The events in 1 Samuel 24.4 where David separates, spares Saul's life and actually humiliates him, David took away evidence in showing Saul that he had the power to kill him, but he did not. David did not simply cut away a piece of Saul's robe. He cut the tassel. The act of cutting the hem, tassel, border, corner, that's the way it all resolves down to tassel, of Saul's robe was of great significance. David humiliated him by sneaking up to him in the cave in the spring of En Gedi and cutting off the tassel of his robe. A symbol of his authority, that tassel would have indicated him as king and been a very, very specific tassel. David had just robbed Saul of his authority, the fringe of his robe that identified him as king. David could have actually claimed kingship by having possession of that tassel. David was upset with himself because he understood that to steal someone's tassel was to steal their authority, his identity. David was aware that what he had just done was tantamount to touching his person, humiliating Saul, Saul and as we say, Touch not the anoint, my, my anointed. David was doing just that. Even though David did this to prove to Saul that he was trying to kill him, that he was not trying to kill him, the symbol of taking the corner tassel would so humiliate Saul. The hem of your garment says everything, everything about who you were in society. Whether you were a common man or the king, your tassel said who you were. Ruth and Boaz, there's some controversy here. A woman lying at his feet and covering herself. People read way too much into this verse to corrupt it. So let's go there. Ruth, chapter 3. Verses 8 and 9. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your, merce, your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. All right. An alternate translation, if anybody has, does anybody have or spread the corner? Anybody have that? Okay. Okay or spread the corner of your garment over your maidservant. This is the translation where people are trying to take this off into somewhere where it shouldn't really go. But um, 
What Ruth did in asking Boaz to spread the corner of his garment over her, which was a symbolic way of saying she was placing herself under Boaz's authority. So we go back to Tzitzit, Strong's H6731. It defines it as a floral or wing, there's a the word, wing-like projection, a forelock of hair, a tassel or fringe. The word wings there is knap, Strong's H3670, which translates borders, borders, and corners. So again, all this stuff starts to interlace itself, and you really have to start looking at context, who's saying what, when, whether you're, you're actually in Greek or you're in the Hebrew, and or if it's been Hebrew translated into Greek, it gets complicated. And then again, you gotta bring it all into English. Um, if a word or phrase does not make sense, and you are after a single correct meaning, you really have to get into a bit of a word study and uncover the nuances. The Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and English all collide in the various translations you have before you. I ended up with that bookmark that's, that started all this, and actually, as I said before, that was Michelle's book. We trade Bibles back and forth because she has the NIV for a, a different reason, not that she doesn't understand. We use the New King James here, but kind of a funny story there. We won't go there. So one last quick, quick look. A very interesting verse in Malachi, Malachi 4.2. Or as Pastor Bitt would say, Malachi. Four two. Page fourteen sixty eight. All right. Malachi four two, everybody there? Nope, still a couple pages turning. Come on, Pam. You there? <laughs> I'm not calling you out. All right, here we go. So, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. So there's the word wings, like we had in um, Ruth. The word, begin, the word wing here is, again, knap, Strong's H3670, which translates to borders or corners. So Jesus is coming with healing in his corners. When number says, put the tzitzi in the corner, it is kanap. All right, so it gets kind of complicated. I hope I didn't confuse you any more than I, I didn't mean to confuse you at all. But So a not-so-quick look at tassels. But I want to be confident when we go to our targeted verses in the gospel that we look at the hem of his garment, that we are absolutely clear on what are we, we're reading and seeing within the words. The hem of one's garment was everything. We looked at a number of Old Testament events and coming forward. By the second temple period, tassels had become a symbol of social status. The wealthier you were, the grander your tassels might appear. It is known that during the time of Jesus, the tassels of some Pharisees were so long and elaborate that they dragged on the ground. It was this ostentatious display of pride by the Pharisees that Jesus firmly rebuked in Matthew 23. Let's go there real quick. It's always nice to see Jesus put the smack down on somebody. Actually, it gets 
I'll just do the one verse. Matthew 23, 5. So Jesus is speaking, but all the works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So if you take the word borders there, they uh, enlarge their tassels. Uh, anybody know what, did not know what a phylactery is? I don't know. A phylactery, have you ever seen the Jewish men? Uh, they wear these little black boxes on their heads or on their arms at certain times of the year. Those are phylacteries. So inside those little boxes is scripture. And they're supposed to do that X number of times per day. So again, anytime um, these kind of guys, they're very pride, very prideful. And that's human nature, such that we even today are a kind of a, a showy, right? Our tassels, our own personal tassels might be the kind of car we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, our visual display of stuff, you know, pride of life. You know, I've, I've had my, a few of my tassels cut off of late, for sure. So recall I said I'd circle back to the blue thread reference. Let's go back real quick, Numbers 15. <coughs> we'll specifically look at 38. I just want to have you recall it and visually see it. Numbers 15, verse 38. Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. So, with, so this is interesting. Within the tassel, there was to be a single blue thread representing something divine. To have a blue thread was to have something of the divine and royal, and serve to remind each wearer the significance of God's uh, sight upon them. God calls us to a royal priesthood. This treasured thread would probably have been passed on from father to son as one of his precious legacies. The blue stripe on the prayer shawl, which I was going to show you, of Jewish men, has the same meaning. And interesting, the symbol is represented in the blue stripes on the flag of Israel today. At, at this time in the world, blue was probably the most expensive color to produce. I can't validate this, but I found this in two spots. Before synthetic dyes, the only source was a small gland from a specific species of snail. It took 12,000 snails to fill up a thimble of blue dye. So in 200 BC, one pound of cloth dyed blue cost the equivalent of $36,000. But remember, we're called Lydia, the seller of purple. Purple also was another one of the difficult things. It's in that blue family, but difficult to produce. She was very wealthy. So... I don't, I don't know, I can't validate any of that. We're too far away from that, but obviously it was a pretty rare thing, and not everybody could have or afford that blue thread. So, um, and I started looking on Talit's online to see if I could find one that had a blue thread. I was going to buy one of those, and I didn't see any. And I, I looked at the best Judica sites, and I couldn't find anything. I was going to call a Jewish friend and have him ask, ask him what the deal was, but I did find the answer. Apparently, this little snail has gone missing as a species, and a particular rabbi indicates it's missing is consistent with our spiritual state. <laughs> as such, most continue to wear only white fringes, awaiting the coming of the Messiah. All right. So all that was to say, now we're going to go back to touching the hem of his garment. 
So let's go to one of our targeted verses and look at the hem of his garment. All three instances in the New King James Version. We're going to go to uh, Luke 8. I'll, I'll tell you ahead of that. So all three of the verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, resolved the word border to Strong's 82-28-99, Craspedon. We've already visited that a couple of times. In the New Testament, again, that little uh, note that the translators gave us, a little appendage hanging down from the edge of a mantle or a cloak made of twisted wool, a tassel. Again, the purpose was that the Jews had such appendage attached to their mantles to remind them of the law. So this is really pretty straightforward. We could have looked at this in three verses, and we wouldn't have to go through all those gyrations, and we'd be done. But I wanted to fill in some of the blanks. Well, I was filling them in for me, really. But ham equals craspedon, which is a little appendage. I think there are questions about the event itself that need to be asked and the subtleties that need to be explored. So uh, you at Luke? You there? Okay. So 443. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border, translated tassel, of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude strong impressed you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out of me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman had absolute intention and expectation. Absolute intention and expectation. We'll unpack some of her intention in a minute. But it was her faith that cemented her expectation. Interestingly, um, again, I had to plug this in. <laughs> Daughter, since it's only used three times by Jesus ever, so I figured I better uh, check that out. It's the only time he ever used the word was right here in these three Gospels on this woman right here. It's the only time he ever called anybody daughter. So, so I plugged daughter into the concordance. And, um, oh, it's, it was used 28 times elsewhere in the New Testament, only three times by Jesus here. So it's uh, Strong's G2364, acceptable to God, rejoicing in God's peculiar care and protection. I like that. God's peculiar care and protection. So one of my favorite lines in this event was disciple Peter and Luke. And Luke, by the way, gives you probably more information than the rest of them. They're the only ones that make you understand the fact that when Jesus wanted to know who touched him, everything stopped. It wasn't that they kept going. And Jesus said, I felt somebody touch me. No, everything stopped. He wanted to know what was going on. And that's only pretty made, made clear in Luke. Um, like I said a minute ago, this woman acted with intention and expectation. No one else present was touching Jesus with the level of intent or expectation driven by her faith. Many times we can find ourselves waiting and praying when it may be time to start moving in faith. This is what that woman with the issue of blood did. So I want to look at her life for a bit more closely. And we cannot emphatically say that she wasn't a hemophiliac, but more probable would have been a non-cessational flow of her monthly cycle. So let's go to Leviticus, Leviticus 15. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. 
We'll look at three verses, 19, 25, and 27. If a woman has a discharge, and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. Whoever touches these, those things, verse 27, whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So by this law listed in verse 25, she has been unclean for 25 years. The implications are she could not touch anyone. She could not touch her husband if she had one, her children if she had any, or her family or friends. She couldn't do any housework. She couldn't prepare food. She had to be completely isolated because of her impurity. It was, being as, it was as being a leper, or worse, being dead. Imagine her determination. She had to go out of her condition as society marked it and overcome the jostling crowd. She was intentional. I was looking for a definitive answer as to the question of whether she is Jew or Gentile, and I couldn't find it. So if you find one, I personally would like to know about that. The previous verses to this event had Jesus on the eastern side of Galilee, which was primarily a Gentile area. Now he's traveling near his home on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and a story is circulating clear across the lake about a man being Jesus with healing power. She's pushing her way in, and everyone is basically upright. She's bent down. Right away, Jesus wants to know who touched her as he felt power go out of him. Peter was incredulous and says, Jesus, really, who touched you? There's a crowd all around us. But everything stopped so that Jesus could get his answer. And when they saw her crouched down, she knew she was caught. She knew anyone who touched her would have been unclean as well. Luke ends it this way. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him. Uh, she had been immediately healed. So was she a Jew in her own town where she lived? She would have been unclean to everyone who knew her. And suppositionally on my part, it would have been almost impossible for her to be in the midst of the throng of people, primarily the Jews, if they knew her, right? They'd be yelling, unclean, get out of here. They would knock her out of the way. Maybe she was from another town, as Jesus just, just come from the other side, and, now in, his, and was now in his own city. Maybe she followed him, and no one knew of her condition. If she was a Gentile, the Jews would have perhaps not known of her condition, and have no concern for a barbar, a dog, right? So again, I can't decide whether or not she's Jew or Gentile. Somebody can come up with a definitive answer. I'd sure like to discuss that. As popular as this event is, there are other issues, other events in Scripture, who, people who were healed by touching the tzitzit, tassel of Jesus. Let's go to Matthew 14, 36 and look at one. Matthew 14, 36. We'll look at two more verses and we'll close. Matthew 14, 36. And begged him that they might only touch the hem, again, that's G29, C tassel, of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. And the other one in Mark 6, 56, and I'll just read it for you. 
Whenever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch the hem, border, tassel of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. We have to be cautionary here. The fringe does not heal you. Jesus heals you. The clothes is just there, but it's not the clothes, it's Jesus. All right. So um, that's basically it for me. The look of the hem is a garment. Kind of a long way to go, but I could have put that down in uh, one page. I was surprised by searching the exact hem of his garment and all the different uh, places it took me and some of the questions it raised. So um, if you want to look up something, I, I took up the hem of his garment and I just threw it in there as a, a word search. And I came up with, there's um, thrift stores. That's why I was looking for the word. There's thrift stores, hem of his garment. Uh, there's all kinds of little websites that sell little trinkets. You can little little plaques that say the hem of his garment and things of that nature on there. And you remember Sam Cooke? Anybody know Sam Cooke from the 60s? Black soul singer. He was the king of soul for a while. This shows he was murdered by a prostitute. Sad story. But um, he wrote the hem of his garment. So if you want to hear it, it's only two and a half minutes long. It's really good. So it's just something. No, I do not. But again, it was just interesting. I just, I like to do that kind of research where you just get a word and you start pounding it out, see where, you, see where it's going to take you. I didn't expect to see Sam Cooke on my radio, but <laughs> it's a pretty cool song. All right? That's it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for your word, Lord, and the way it works in our lives, Lord. I know of no other book, Lord. I can read a word, words on your page and be brought to tears. Or I can find something that is of interest and I can spend an hour hunting down words or meanings or a phrase or look at people's lives. I thank you that there has been so much research done across the centuries, the millennia, Lord. All the documents that we have that point back to you and your greatness, your perfectness, Lord. So I thank you for what your word is to us, Lord. Thank you for being here with us tonight, Lord. Thank you for what you have shown me. I look forward to just uh, that day when it'll all be made very clear. I won't have to search in a concordance for what the word means when you speak it. And Lord, we would be remiss if we didn't. And uh, again, praying for the people of Israel, Lord. Stop the insanity, Lord Jesus. Allow some of those people over there. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.